Overwhelmed. That's a word that is really commonplace right now. That's how a lot of us, many of us, perhaps most of us are feeling. It's certainly something I've been struggling with over the last several weeks as we're trying to navigate both individually and collectively through this COVID-19 pandemic. There are people who are overwhelmed because of the financial state that they find themselves in. There are people who are overwhelmed with the fear that follows something like this pandemic. There are people who are overwhelmed with the relationships or lack thereof because of the social distancing. Whatever the case is, every one of us at some point in our lives, if we are not here right now, has or will experience this feeling of being overwhelmed. This last week, I received something that I hadn't received in years. It was an actual letter in the mail. It wasn't a bill and it wasn't junk mail. It was a letter that was written by an individual who has watched our church closely over the last several years. And they wanted to write a letter of encouragement and really a letter of of perseverance. You see, in this letter, they talked about where we're at as a church and how this church is, is blessing their lives and how the leadership of the church has meant so much to them. They were also very sympathetic about the things that we're, as pastors and, and leaders in the Christian church today, are, are faced with. And the sentiment of the letter in its entirety was really keep going. I have left that letter open and out on my desk this entire week, and I've gone back to it more than once to, to read the words of encouragement and really the instruction of perseverance from my friend. I appreciate so much the the time that was taken to write this letter, and it's spoken so much to my heart and to, to my mind and to really the state of where we're at that we're going to start a brand new series today that we're entitling Keep Going. Every one of us in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, I hope will be encouraged by this series. Every one of us in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, I hope will learn something more about their life in Christ, leaning into the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and trusting Him as we learn all the more about perseverance, about what it means to keep going. And as we look at stories of perseverance throughout Scripture, I'd encourage you to grab your Bible and turn to the book of James. We're going to be in James 1, verses 1 through 8 today. And as you're grabbing your Bible and looking for the book of James, I want to start our time together in prayer. Father, I thank you for the letter that I received this week. I thank you for my friend who thought to send an encouraging word, an encouraging note. And I thank you for how you've used that to remind me, to remind our team of what it means to press on and to persevere and to keep going in the midst of feeling overwhelmed. I want to pray right now a special blessing and a peace that surpasses all understanding for everyone who's watching right now that has, is, and will feel overwhelmed. God, I pray that you'd speak clearly and directly to their hearts. And now, Lord, as we lift your name up through reading your word and unpacking it together, may it come alive May it penetrate our hearts. May it cement to our minds. And I pray that you would change us. Change us to look all the more like you. And I pray now that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of our hearts would be a gift to you. Amen. So what we're going to read in James is a letter not too dissimilar to the one that I received. James is going to start off by introducing himself and setting the stage culturally and contextually for why he's writing, including who he's writing to. It's very commonplace in what is known as the epistles. So let's jump in, beginning in verse 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. 
greetings. There are three things that are happening here that are really unique and yet really commonplace in this type of writing. The first is the introduction of the author. This is James, also known as James the Just, who is the half-brother of Jesus. During his life with Jesus, he had nothing to do with the power and the presence of Jesus as the Son of God. But Jesus showed up in big ways in James' life. And we read in the book of Acts how James surrenders his life. He bows his knee and bends his will to the person of Jesus in his life. He becomes an, an early adopter of the faith and really a forefather in the church. As James writes, he introduces his position. He doesn't say James, the, the brother of Jesus. James, the one who knows Jesus physically more than anybody else because we grew up in the same household. James, the one who witnessed Jesus' miracles. Instead, he really gives the credentials of someone that would be pretty alarming if you read it. He says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you and I think about slavery, we think about somebody who's lost their liberties. We think about somebody who is devoid of any ability to make a choice that is committed to service of someone that is beyond their, their, their will. And, and we should. That's really what slavery in our culture and context has looked like for a couple hundred years. Beyond that. But the word that James uses here in the original Greek language is doulos, which literally means uh, to, to, to be someone who comes in as a bond servant, somebody who willingly or willfully surrenders themselves, that willingly becomes a servant of. They, they bow their heart and they bend their, their will to this individual. And, and he gives clear direction here to who he's becoming a slave of, who his master is. In other words, who owns the rights to his life, to his service. He says, I'm James, and I'm a, I'm a bondservant, I'm a slave, I'm committed to God, and I'm committed to my Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to introduce his audience. He says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, now this represents Israel. I'm representing, uh, this letter, I'm, I'm representing all 12 tribes in this letter, but he doesn't stop there, because there's going to be this, this cataclysmic shift that takes place. When they hear this initially, there's a, a nation that's represented but Jesus is going to use a conjunction here in a minute to help us understand all the more the nature of these 12 tribes. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers. Now, I would encourage you to circle or highlight some way the word believers, because that's significant to what we're reading. Jewish believers that are scattered abroad. Greetings. Jewish believers was really uncommon in this context. There were Jewish individuals by nationality, and they followed Yahweh, and they were committed to God, but they weren't followers of Jesus, or what was known as followers of the way. They were committed to their cause, they were committed to their call, they were subservient to the religious leaders of their time, they were, uh, they were committed to a set of laws and ordinances. There was a lot that went into being a part of the Jewish nation at this time, not including in this passage where we see they are Jewish believers. So these are individuals now who haven't abandoned their religion, but they have adopted following Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. They are believers, which means they believe what Jesus has said. They believe the miracles, the signs, and wonders. They believe, and it has, it has transformed them. So because of this belief, look what happens. These are Jewish believers that are scattered abroad. They're no longer in Israel. 
They've been displaced in what's known as the diaspora or the dispersion. Why are they displaced, you might be asking? Because to follow Jesus in this culture and context meant your life. It could have physically meant that you would lose your life for being a follower of the way. They didn't stop at killing Jesus. There were many that were martyred because of their faith. And so James knows that these are individuals who've been forced out of their community. They've been forced out of their relationships. They've been forced out of their jobs. They've been forced out of their culture and context. These are individuals who are now physically and socially distanced from from one another. They don't have social media like we have. They don't have the ability to FaceTime or to Zoom, uh, to, to have a video conference with one another or to send a text message. These are individuals who have been displaced and they're literally making their way through a culture and context that is so new to them. Likely, many of them are living in a, in a society that they don't even speak the language. They don't dress the same way. They don't live culturally the same way. Imagine being a foreign exchange student and you're just becoming accustomed to, to a community. That's overwhelming. Feeling like, like, like you have to try to communicate in a way that doesn't matter and makes sense to you can be overwhelming. Knowing that you don't belong in a community because that's not what you've been a part of can be overwhelming. And that's what James is writing about. It's who he's writing to are these people that, that are individuals that have been forced out because of their following Jesus. They're overwhelmed. And he writes a traditional introduction by saying greetings. Now he's going to transition into talking about what it means to be overwhelmed and how we deal with it. Look at verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters. Now we see this and we should look at this one of two ways. Number one, he's writing to... A, na- a nation, a-, a national group of individuals, Jewish individuals. So it could be that he's talking about a-, a familial relationship. But there's something unique that takes place that transpires when we surrender our lives to Jesus. We are adopted in the body of faith, in the body of believers. We are adopted by God and we become co-heirs with Christ. And so if God is our Father and Jesus is our brother and we are co-heirs, what that makes us, regardless of our race or nation our tribe, or our tongue, is that we are adopted into the family of God. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, you're my brother, you're my sister, and like it or not, I'm your brother. We're in this tribe together. So he's writing them a constant reminder here to say, look, you're not in this alone. We're brothers and sisters, not just by nation, but by faith. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way. Man, I couldn't encourage you enough to circle when. Wouldn't it have been nice if he said, if? Troubles come your way as though it were a possibility. But that's not what he says at all. He he says when as a statement, a matter of fact, when troubles come your way. And this isn't the first time they've heard this. Think about Jesus in his own words in John. He says, in this world, you will have troubles of many kinds. You will face things that are overwhelming to you. So James is writing to these displaced Jewish followers of Jesus And he knows that they're struggling. He knows that they're struggling with a lot of things. And he writes, when troubles come your way. When you hear that, it's likely that it's going to draw out of you an instance. Something that you can relate to. If somebody says they're sick, you can understand that because you've been sick. And it might draw out of you that moment. So as James is writing these troubles... Imagine as they're hearing this letter read aloud, all the things that they're thinking about. Yeah, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble financially. I'm in, I'm in trouble physically. I'm in trouble relationally. I've lost my home. I've lost my 401k, my pension. I've lost my job. I've lost, I've lost everything. So as James says this, he's stating 
the obvious, it's a rhetorical, but does something really transformative here. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. He's talking about how our perspective influences and changes everything. We can sit in the basket of overwhelmed, or we can choose to live out of the abundance of the joy that we experience. Great joy. This is, in other words, here, this is a great gladness. It's not based on an emotion. It's based on a being. Uh, It's based on a position that that you take up. He says, when these troubles come, you have an opportunity to consider these things you're facing great joy. But he doesn't leave it there. He's going to give some context to why it's important and how this informs and shapes our life. Verse 3 says, for you know, now here's the, the rhetorical piece. He's saying, you guys already understand this. You've, you've heard this before. You've experienced this before. This isn't going to be the first time that you identify with what I'm about to say. For you know that when your faith is tested, now when that word tested is brought up, it should conjure up in our minds that, that it's something that is, is, is overwhelming, that it's something that is beyond us, it's bigger than us, that, that we're coming up against. When your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. If we're not tested, how can we ever grow? If you've ever spent any time in the gym, one of the things that you'll learn quickly if you work out with, uh, with a trainer is that in order for your muscles to grow, you have to stretch them and you have to work them in a way that is, is beyond what they're used to. What happens then is they get these micro tears that will fill up with blood and there will be proteins and waters and other things that will come into play. But over time, as you get these micro tears and you stretch these muscles and you you learn to use them in different ways, they'll increase in size, they'll increase in mobility, they'll increase in strength. And, And so the next time you face that same movement, you'll be stronger. You won't be surprised. Your muscles will have experienced it before. And so you'll, you'll be able to pick up that weight or, or move it in, in, in a way that you're familiar with. James says the same thing here in terms of when you, when you experience these things, you have an opportunity to grow. Now, what does that look like in your faith? If you don't experience opportunities, and I did say opportunities, of being overwhelmed, how will you know to trust Jesus? How will you know to lean in to the Lord? If you're not overwhelmed, you can trust yourself. You can trust the people around you. It's not until we face circumstances that are overwhelming, that are bigger than anything we've faced before, or that we can manage ourselves, that we learn all the more to learn to lean into God. And as we do that, we begin to grow in our faith. We grow in our knowledge of God. We grow in our stature. And as difficult as those overwhelming seasons and circumstances are, How incredible is the byproduct, learning to lean into the Lord all the more. In fact, James is so convinced that it has the power to change life and eternity. Look what he says in verse 4. On the heels of describing this this test and this trial and endurance and this chance to grow, he says in verse 4, So let it grow. Don't don't shy away from being overwhelmed. Don't shy away from things that that are difficult. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed... You will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now he's talking about this full reliance on God. 
This is a this is a progressive sanctification moment where as we deal with circumstances in life that are overwhelming, in faith that are overwhelming, in relationships that are overwhelming, and we learn to lean into God all the more, we learn to trust God all the more, we learn to allow Him to lead us all the more. And, and, and as we do that, we'll learn here in His Word in just a minute that we become more mature, more complete, not, not lacking the things that we thought we needed or held on tightly to. Now, this seems all well and good. And one of the things that people struggle with in terms of this letter in James is how James writes. He writes from a human responsibility perspective. Now, what I mean by that is James is going to say some pretty radical things. He's going to say, look, you talk about your faith, but what good is your faith if you don't have deeds to back it up or to follow it? Faith without deeds is dead. We know in Scripture, the Bible says that we've been saved by faith and not by works so that none of us can boast. And I think we get those two convoluted and even confused. We think that it's either or. James actually talks about both end, that it is by grace we're saved, but out of our salvation, we will demonstrate works, good deeds, things that are evidence or fruit of our faith. So people look at the book of James and they struggle with it because it seems like it's all about pulling up your bootstraps and what we have to do for ourselves. That's not it at all. If we look at the first four verses of James, we learn who he is and who he's writing to. And then we learn about this opportunity. He says, when troubles come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. And he, the way he writes is almost as though we have this responsibility to somehow do it ourselves. But, but when taken in culture and context, that's not at all what we're going to learn. Over the next few verses together, we're going to learn how this seemingly impossible task of persevering and continuing to keep going in circumstances that are overwhelming is not only viable, but it's, it's expected in the life of a Christian, in the life of a follower of Jesus. Let's look at verse 5. If you need wisdom, doesn't that seem... Almost like uh, an oxymoron. I mean, think about that. These individuals, these Jewish followers of Jesus, have lost everything. They're in a context and community that is completely new to them. And now James is telling them, keep going. Keep going. Wouldn't you ask, how? How do I keep going? How do I financially keep going? How do I physically keep going? How do I emotionally keep going? How do I spiritually keep going? Wouldn't that be one of the first questions that comes to your mind is, How? How do I keep going? I can't do this on my own. I don't, I don't have what it takes. And by the grace of God, you don't have to have what it takes because God does. And he makes it available to us. And that's what James is going to lead us into. He says, look, if you need wisdom, if you, know how, if you need to know how to keep going, ask our generous God. Look at that adjective, that descriptor that James uses to describe God. He's a generous God. Generous means one who is likely or willing to give in abundance, to do more than you could imagine. This is how James describes God. Ask our generous God and he'll what? He'll give it to you. It doesn't say that God's going to take away the circumstances that are overwhelming to you. But in the midst of these moments that seem insurmountable, the guarantee is that God will give you the wisdom you need to keep going. Not only that, but a generous God gives generously. And so he'll give us a generous amount of wisdom that will inform us, that will inspire us, that will encourage us to keep going in the midst of all of this. Isn't that amazing? 
He goes on to say, he will not rebuke you for asking. In other words, he's not going to be upset with you for coming to God to ask for, for this wisdom. But when you ask him, verse 6 says, when you ask him, that is predicated on the understanding that you're going to ask him. He didn't say if you ask God. He says when you ask God. Why? Because we are God's children. In my family, I've got a lot of children. And I know that there are things that my children are unable to do on their own. I'll give you an example. This morning, Brienne, my five-year-old daughter, wanted Cheerios. Cereal is kind of a treat around our house. And so we keep the Cheerios hidden in a top shelf. Here I say hidden. Now everybody knows in the whole world. So if you ever come to our house, it's in the top shelf above our refrigerator. She figured out where it was and she took our bar stool over by the refrigerator and she monkeyed her way up to the top of the, the stool. And she got to the very top of the refrigerator and on her tippy toes, she was reaching for the cupboard drawer. And she said, ah, I can't do it. I can't do it. And she turned around and I said, Brian, what's the matter? And she had this frustrated, overwhelmed look on her face. She said, I'm trying to get the Cheerios, but I can't open the cupboard. And so I asked the most important question of all, did you ask your mother? And she said, yes, mom said I could have them. And so I asked the next obvious question, not to Brianne, but to Stacy. Stacy, did you tell Brianne she could have Cheerios? And Stacy confirmed that, yeah, she had in fact told her she could have some Cheerios. And so I willingly and lovingly and excitedly got up from what I was doing and I helped Brianne. I grabbed her waist and I picked her up and I opened up the cupboard and let her reach to grab down this box of Cheerios. And together we poured the Cheerios into a bowl and put the almond milk in it and poured the honey all over the top and... And you would have thought the kid was in heaven, this side of, well, heaven. She was ecstatic. She was excited. But she was trusting me to help her accomplish something that she couldn't have accomplished on her own. And this is exactly the sentiment that James is communicating here in verse 6. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. I mean, that's a, that's a tremendous reminder for me in the midst of everything going on right now, feeling overwhelmed, my first inclination, if I'm being really honest, is to think about what I can do to accomplish the things that are in front of me that are overwhelming. What, what can I do to, to make the relationships different or better? What can I do to control my finances in the market crash? What can I do to, to make the ministry work more effectively and reach more people. And yet I'm reminded, as I look at my financial statement, there's, there's nothing I can do. I, I can't control the market. I can't make it rise or fall. As I look at the ministry, it's, it's bigger than me. Just this last week, we, we ran over the threshold of 7,000 meals because of the tremendous volunteers and the amazing support that we received from many of you watching online right now. We've been able to give out over 7,000 meals to people in our community, over 150 families, over 300 people a day have been impacted in some way, shape, form, or facet. I couldn't do that on my own. I would spend all my time spinning my wheels to try to keep up, but I couldn't do it. It would be overwhelming. And so what we do in those moments is, we, we, it says, when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. When you look at everything going on and you want to grow in your faith, you want to lean all the more into Him, don't turn to pop culture. Don't turn to pop psychology. Don't, don't turn on every podcast you can possibly think of and allow every voice in the world to, to infiltrate your mind and inform you and influence you. Turn to the Word of God. 
dig in. Dig into the Bible. Dig into the scriptures. Dig into these 66 amazing books from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask God to show himself. Ask God to to come alive in you. Lean into him. Let him inform you. Let him influence you. When you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Not man. Not not the mighty dollar. Not the the corporate ladder, but in God alone. And when you ask, he says in the middle of verse 6, do not waver. For a person who wavers with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. I love James' usage of visual aids here. This is a group of individuals that were very familiar with port cities. They lived with water all around them, multiple different bodies of water. They were very familiar with what would happen when a a storm would come up on the sea or the lake, how it would toss and throw boats. I mean, there were boats seemingly daily that would be shattered against a rock or with the wind that would end up at the bottom of whatever body of water they were on. Now, that's a bit of a, an exaggeration, but my point is that these ships would, would experience these storms and they would, they would be dismembered and they would end up at the bottom of that water. That was a real thing. They were very well aware of the, the power of these storms and people turning back because of these storms and how they were just tossed and thrown about. And James uses that exact visual aid when he said, when you ask God for wisdom, Trust him alone. Don't worry about others, but lean into him. If you do lean into outside sources, well, you're really kind of double-minded. He says, don't waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Imagine hearing that and you're dealing with these overwhelmed circumstances in your life. You want to trust God, but you're brand new to it. You want to trust God, but the circumstances seem insurmountable. And so on one hand, you're leaning in to the one of God. And on the other hand, you're leaning into social media or you're leaning into the latest news story. What James is instructing us clearly here, the people of Israel at the time who've been displaced because of these overwhelming circumstances is to lean into God and to lean into God alone. Verse seven, it's a bit of a warning. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Not because God doesn't want to bless us. He's not calloused In fact, we're told just the opposite. What kind of God are we called to call out to? A generous God. A radically generous God. So it's not that he's calloused or that he's just looking for an excuse not to to help us or to rescue us or to save us or to, 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 to meet us where we're at. It's not about God, it's about us. And he says here in verse 8, their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything that they do. So what do you do in the midst of these circumstances that are are so tremendously overwhelming? How do you navigate these waters? What is, what is, what's expected of us? Well, I think that's just it. I think we, we're so used to writing down lists, tasks, job descriptions, responsibilities, things that we can do. And we check the boxes or we cross out each individual item as we go along. These things that we do. There's only one thing. Only one thing that we, we're called to do as followers of Jesus when we're overwhelmed. When we're facing circumstances that are, well, really unlike anything that we 
could have imagined. Trials. And I want to speak about trials for just a second before we move on to what I'm about to share with you. James says, when you face trials of many kinds, he doesn't say trials that are reserved for the most egregious of circumstances. We serve a relational God. We're in community with the relational God. My kids come to me, and there's never been a problem too small for me to acknowledge them and to listen to them and to demonstrate my love for them. I don't wait for them to come when they have a broken bone or they're, they're bleeding excessively. I listen regardless of the circumstances because I love them, and I want what's good for them. I want what's best for them. For anybody who's watching right now that has been hesitant to run to God with your circumstances with feeling overwhelmed because you just feel like it's petty. Trust me, that's not of God. God says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. The best thing that we can do when we feel overwhelmed is acknowledge, acknowledge that we're overwhelmed and cry out to God. Consider this season of difficulty and trial an opportunity to grow in our faith, to grow in our stature, to grow in our love and our reliance of God and ask God for the wisdom that we need to keep going. Ask God for the strength that we need to keep going. Ask God for the spiritual fervor to keep going. Even selfishly, ask God for the desire to keep going. Because sometimes when we're overwhelmed, it feels like the only thing we want to do is give up. But I want to implore you, I want to encourage you to keep going. I want to finish with this thought. Psalm 105. I shared it a couple of weeks ago in a daily devotion. It's a psalm that has continued to come up. I have a, a, a one-year reading Bible. It's pretty unique in terms of it's written in a chronological order. And as I'm reading through Second Samuel right now, these amazing stories of things that are taking place with David responsible for leading the Israelites and all the challenges that he's faced, one of the things that he's responsible for is trusting God with the Ark of the Covenant. And he is, it's been displaced. It's been, it's been away from him. There's a whole series of circumstances around it. I encourage you to read Second Samuel and, and learn more about it. But in this moment, he cries out to God and he calls out to the Levites and he prepares a way for the Ark of the Covenant to come and to rest in what is known as the City of David. He prepares a special tent. And as he does, he reflects on these seasons of being overwhelmed where people have come at him, the Philistines and other armies that are trying to, to take him out. These individuals that he seemingly has been on the run for, for a decade in fear of his life from people that loved him, that called him into service with them. David is now on the other side of that and he writes a reflection and I want to read this to you, Psalm 105. And I'm, going to remi- I'm just going to read the, the first six verses. It's not going to come up on your screen, but I would encourage you to look at this later. I would encourage you to even commit this to memory. Psalm 105. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim His greatness. Let the whole world know what He's done. Sing to Him. Yes, sing His praises. Tell everyone about His wonderful deeds. It's funny. When I was reading this morning, I was reminded of David's wife, Saul's daughter, Michael, who when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back into the community, he was dancing in an undignified manner. He was shouting his praises. And the Bible says that Michael looked out and she was 
she was not only distraught, she was disgusted. Said that she had a hard heart toward David. And yet that didn't stop David. He says, what can I do? I- I've got to rejoice. I've got to praise God. He's bigger than the circumstances. He's, he's worthy of praise. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exalt in his holy name. Exalt literally means to lift it up and to, to relish in that. To sit in that, to bask in that, exult in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. There it is again. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given. Your children of his servant Abraham, your descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones. And I love this psalm and I love how the Lord is ministering to my life in the middle of this season of being overwhelmed. That we're called to to do several things. We're called to to celebrate the goodness of our God. Not because of our circumstances, but in spite of our circumstances. Not only that, but we're called to to celebrate and to tell others how good God is. It's nothing to tell people how blessed we are when, well, we're feeling blessed. When we get a new car, or we've got a new house, or we've got a, a new boat, or things are going really well. It's something entirely different when in the midst of the most overwhelming circumstances we've faced, we're still shouting praises to God. We're still trusting in God and people are looking on and they're observing this gladness, this joy that we have that's bigger than any circumstance we're facing. And they're going to ask, what what are you doing? What right do you have to praise? I mean, many of them are going to be like Job, curse your God and die. That's what his wife says. Yet Job in the midst of it refuses He continues to surrender to God. He's honest about his being overwhelmed, but he continues to to surrender. Here James is writing to an entire nation who's been forced out of everything that they've known. They've been displaced. They're living in foreign lands amongst foreign people. And yet they get this letter from James that isn't based on circumstances, but on the one who is sovereign. What do we do in the midst of those? We ask God for wisdom and we sing shouts of praise and we, we tell others how good God is. And how can we do that in the midst of these times that are overwhelming? Well, because he says, search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Continually to look for him. And how do you know to continually look for him? Because we remember that he's been there before. Remember the wonders he performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given. Your children of his servant Abraham, your descendants of Jacob, his chosen one. Remember what he did for for Moses. Remember what he did for Abraham. Remember what he did for, for Jacob. Remember what he did for you yesterday. Remember what he did for your neighbor. Remember what he did for your friends. Remember what he's done. In the midst of all this madness, I am so reminded of how great and big and awesome our God is. Just yesterday, a close friend of mine has a relative that was diagnosed with cancer, a pretty advanced stage of cancer. And they went with their relative to the hospital for surgery after having diagnostics run, blood work where the markers were absolutely clear that this was cancer imaging that was absolutely clear that this was cancer. They diagnosed their relative with stage 3C, which means it was an aggressive form that was pretty far along, but it had been contained to this one area. Huge, large mass. This individual came to our staff and was honest about being overwhelmed. Talked about the trial that this was in their life and the impact that it was having all around them. 
And we prayed. We cried out to God. We put our trust and our hope in Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. This same afternoon, we got a phone call from our friend. They wanted to call and give us an update on the surgery. We were all waiting, knowing and expecting that the call was going to come. And when the call did come, what we heard through the tears on the other end of the phone was that as the doctors got in to remove the tumor and they began to run pathology right there, that what was so clear in the blood work and the markers and so clear in the imaging that they were willing to give it a label, stage 3C cancer, was non-cancerous. Come on, non-cancerous. And we celebrate that. And we look at that, and, and I'm not here to tell you that everybody's case is going to end up like that. But what we do is we, we celebrate these moments, these miracles, and they remind us that God is a good, good God. And in the midst of all this madness, we're called to cry out to him and to lean into him all the more and to ask him for wisdom so that we can keep going. And we can keep going in these moments because we have those moments, those miracle moments. And they may not always be physical. They can be relational. They can be financial. And sometimes they can seem so small. But it's in the small things like this letter that I received from my friend who reminded me of what we've been through as a church in the last three and a half years, who reminded me personally of what I've been through in the last three and a half years and how we've seen God move mountains, how he's done the miraculous. It wasn't a physical, it wasn't a a, a financial, it was a spiritual and it was a relational and it it was one that God has done these amazing things. And as I sit back and I reflect on how difficult things have been over the last three and a half years, at times seasons that seemed like they were so overwhelming that I wasn't sure how we were going to get through them, I'm reminded of a great, big, and awesome God who has allowed us as a ministry to have 356 first-time commitments to Christ that we know of to date. That we've given out over 1,300 Bibles, 1,300 Bibles to people who've walked in our doors and who have indicated that they want a Bible by raising their hand. That's a miracle. Individuals who have never stepped foot in a church that have given their life to Jesus and are now fully vested in the life and the ministry. They're your brother and your sister in faith. Individuals who've walked away from the church and who've come back. Man, it's those moments, those miracles that we have to hang on to that inform us and remind us that we can keep going. That we can consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of any kind. Because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And that that perseverance will allow us to grow all the more in stature and that we will be full and complete, not lacking anything. So I want to encourage you this morning. Wherever you're at, whatever you're facing, whatever the obstacle is in front of you, I would encourage you to look at that obstacle as an opportunity. Not for what you can do to navigate around it or through it or under it or over it, but an opportunity to trust Jesus and to lean into God and ask Him, for wisdom and we know that our generous God will give it he'll give us the wisdom that we need to face the trials of every single day and I'm just crazy enough to believe that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who miraculously led his people and delivered his people time and time and time again that the God of my friend whose family member was miraculously healed from cancer just this week is the same God that will meet us in the moments of our madness 
and will deliver us from the traps of the enemy that wants to use these circumstances that are overwhelming to drag us down and to hold us down. Regardless of what you're facing today, I want you to know that Jesus loves you, that he gave his life for you. And in the same way that James has surrendered himself to Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior, and he's become a doulos, a servant to the King of Kings that informs every single thing James does. We read about it through the rest of his letter. We have the same opportunity to surrender our lives and our circumstances to Jesus Christ, to become doulos, to become a willing servant to the King of Kings. And we can know with absolute certainty that Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. So, in light of everything that we've listened to from God's Word and from the presence of the Holy Spirit, what do you need to do in this moment? What circumstance or situation are you facing that you need to surrender? Can I encourage you to be honest about your hurt, about your fear, about your brokenness? Can I encourage you to to reach out first to God for help in total surrender? And then to us, as a church, we, we love you. We care about you. Some of you we've never met. We love you and we care about you. In Christ, you're our brother and our sister. Would you please, this week, email us, info at countrybible.org and let us know how we can pray for you. And let us know how we can encourage you. And let us know how we can serve you and walk alongside you in this season. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that there's somebody watching right now. It's not a it's not a coincidence that you tuned in today. You have been the Lord of your life. And you've been trying to figure out how to navigate through all these seasons that are overwhelming. You've been relying on your own strength, on your own wisdom, on your own stature. And it hasn't worked out. And it won't work out. It's not designed to work out. We were created to be a people fully in love with and fully reliant on God. The greatest thing you can do right now is to bow your heart and to bend your knee to Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And as you draw near to Him, He will lift you up. He will meet you right where you're at, in the middle of your madness, and He will show you the miracle that is a right relationship with Him. I encourage you right now just to be honest about that. God, I've been doing it my way. I've been trying it on my own. And I've been far from you. I ask that you forgive me for being well, stupid. Forgive me for being arrogant. Forgive me for being stubborn. And coming to my life. As the Lord of my life. I become a doulos, a servant to you, the King of Kings. And even now, if you would agree with that prayer, you can simply say amen or you can pray it back. God knows God knows your heart. He knows your motivation. And if that's you this morning, if you've just given your life to Jesus, welcome to the family of God. You are now a brother and a sister in Jesus. We're in this together. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are a child of the living God. The Bible says that there is a party in your honor in heaven right now. 
And I celebrate that with you. And we want to hear about that decision. If you right now have surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, same, please email us, info at countrybible.org. Let us know about that commitment. I'll tell you what, even right now, those of you who are still watching, those of you who have weathered the storm for these last few minutes with me, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, put it on shout. Do like Psalm 105. Sing God's praises and tell the world what he's done for you. Put it in the comment box below, whether you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook. Email us. Let us know. Info at countrybible.org. And I promise you that one of our staff will call you this week to walk you through your commitment to Christ and to to praise God with you and to pray with you and to celebrate with you. Man, I'm so excited. We want to know this. We want to hear this. We want to celebrate with you. Church, I love you. And I am excited to be your pastor in this season of uncertainty where things are overwhelming. And I am so excited to be a part of this series that we're kicking off, that we just kicked off, where over the next four weeks, we're going to look at what it means to keep going in our faith. I pray that you are safe, and I pray that you are trusting Jesus, and I pray that you are making the most of this miracle that is Jesus in the midst of being overwhelmed. Have a great week. Take care.